0: Wrong in this situation, he took a pinch in the back. He got beaten for crying out loud. Heart attack. We used heart attack. Me. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Done without that. The credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my win. What's going on, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPiella.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. In a little bit, I'm going to talk about the differences in each sport when we're trying to quantify what the greatest of all time is. And I'm going to focus on players. You could also set it, if you want, to teams and coaches and owners any, any section of the uh, sport that you want to. But I, I do think the criteria based off of the different sport is different. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Obviously, you got the Major League Baseball owner's lockout. The owner's locking out the players. Um, owners are pissed. Players are pissed. The commissioner's pissed. Uh, fans obviously are upset with everything that we've seen. You know, and, and a fan's angle is always going to be how much money the fan puts into the sport by uh, buying merchandise, going to games, concessions. And the fan is always going to feel like they're getting a short end of the stick when it comes to a lockout or a strike. And that, that's a sentiment that's never going to change. In fact, it's one that probably isn't worth discussing that much. You could talk about it. Uh, fans are upset. they got the right to be upset the longer that the players are locked out, and the longer time that goes by before there's a collective bargaining agreement, the fans, yes, number one, unequivocally are hurt the most. But when you have a dispute, whether it's a dispute with your wife or your husband or a dispute with your child or your coworker or your acquaintance or your friend, there's two different sides to the argument. One person thinks that they're right, the other person thinks that they're right. Generally, the truth or the rightness, if you're trying to judge, lies somewhere in the middle. And it's easy to take sides. I have had a hard time backing off of my stance when it comes to the support of the players. I've always been a pro player person. I'm pro union up to a certain point, but when it comes when it comes down to it, I could see the negatives when it comes to union. But um, during the strike, I really believed that the owners were in the wrong. The strike, of course, I'm referring to 1994 Major League Baseball. They end up canceling the season, no postseason for the first time in 90 years. Yada yada yada, and obviously that's going to come right to the forefront. That's going to come right into our own minds because the fear is automatically going to exist that hey maybe there will be no season this year and if there isn't you know, it's kind of scary you know 1994 sucked and listen I was only 14 going into 15 but as a baseball fan which I love the sport more than anything outside of God and my family uh, it was something that was very tough to digest And if you're in a moment, if you're in a position right now, you certainly do have to believe that at least there's a remote possibility that there might not be baseball this season. The entire season could be canceled. But at the very least, we're looking at spring training games. We're looking at the delay to the start of the season. We're looking at a season that might be less than 162 games. So when we divulge ourselves into it, The natural reaction from a human nature standpoint is who are we going to blame for it? And once again, the 1994 strike, I believe, was solely by the owners. And the last thing I'm ever going to bring up on this show, and I'll say it right now because it's something that I will never repeat. It's not a matter of billionaires against millionaires. Because that's where John Q. Public tries to make like they can't relate to what's going on. John Q. Public can relate to what's going on within their own set of financial terms. The issue is more of a dispute than it is over a battle of millions and billions of dollars. And I know there's a lot of people that don't understand that. They feel, you know, you feel like you make, you know, if you make 11 bucks an hour, if you make uh, $500 a week or less, if you have a hard time putting food on the table, to support your family. You make as if you can't relate to what's going on in a billion dollar industry like baseball, but it's the same type of dispute that you, who may not be making that much money, have with your wife or your spouse or your husband when you're arguing over money. And that type of argument, which usually is set for not having enough money, is on the same table when you're arguing over who should get the share of the millions and billions of dollars. And this is where we're at right now. And obviously, we go back to the 1994 strike, and I know the third time I've mentioned it, it. You know, this was set because of free agency, which took away the reserve clause, the Peter Seitz decision, the Arbiter in 1975, Major League Baseball got free agency. The Reserve Clause was eliminated, and because of that, the tables went kind of the other way. The pendulum swung in the direction of the players, and players were getting paid you know, ridiculous sums of money. Ridiculous sums of money that John Q. Public couldn't relate to. And the players looked like they were bad people when they're arguing with the owners because they wanted more money, but they got the freedom that they ended up getting. Now, the owners counteract that by trying to do everything they can to decrease the amount of money that they're paying the players. Now, in the end, the owners are the ones signing the contracts. So, in the middle of the 1980s, the owners say, hey, we're the ones that are supposed to pay the contracts for these players. What if we just don't do it? What if we manipulate the free agent market to control which players sign with which teams, and therefore we could curtail the salaries of Major League Baseball players. And that's what the owners did. And they, they actually broke the law. They did something that was probably worse than throwing the 1919 World Series, which the Chicago White Sox did. You know, they consorted to gamblers for money. The owners took the very sanctity of the game, determined pennant races, determined which players were going to play for which teams amongst themselves, which was just as much of an embarrassment and a tarnish on Major League Baseball at that time. So as things culminated with the 1994 strike, I was very much on the side of the players. The players still, some were active that were involved as the owners colluded against players in the 1985, 86, and 87 off-seasons. They were proven to have done so. The commissioner, Peter Ubaroth, the power owners at that time were all proven beyond a reasonable doubt to have done that. So the players, feeling like the owners can't be trusted, walked out of the sport, a very sport that was trying to tell them that the team should have a salary cap. Now you look at how things have you know, gotten a lot better for the players. The salaries have gone up. Major League Baseball players, if you followed what, you know, the 24 hour or 48 hour, 72 hour window where there was what, $1.7 billion that was agreed to and upon for Major League Baseball players in that time, the players aren't in a position to claim poverty. Now, one of the other issues is how do you take care of the minor league players? And while I'll agree, while I do agree that they should be treated a little bit better, I think their, you know, their housing assignments, their lodging, that should be paid for and taken care of by their teams. They shouldn't have to eat ramen noodles per se, but there's a reason that they're in the minor leagues and to equate the salaries of what a player with one day of service time gets paid for playing in the major leagues is enough of a jump to warrant what the difference is between the minor and the major leagues. And the reason I get into this is because if you go back to the mid-1940s, the time frame where there was a lot of change uh, presented for baseball started with the death of Kennesaw Mountain Landis, which you know baseball couldn't wait to put him in a Hall of Fame, but you saw all the good things that were available to baseball once Kennesaw Mountain Landis died. Obviously, integration was number one, Um, expansion which started to kind of happen in the 1950s but also an opportunity for players to play in different leagues and baseball had some threats whether it was the Pacific Coast League whether it was other minor leagues that players were getting paid almost as much as they were in the major leagues and I think this puts a, a lot of things in perspective Because there is a difference between minor league baseball and major league baseball. There's a difference between, and no offense, to a person that pushes carts outside of a grocery store and a person that runs the entire store. There's pay grades that are involved based off of what your job is. And perhaps the person that pushes the shopping carts can aspire to be the manager of the store someday and has that opportunity. If they grow and they build and they can get themselves into that position, then they would understand what it's like to get paid what the manager at a store gets paid. Minor league baseball players are minor league baseball players because number either one, they're not ready to play in the major leagues yet, or number two, they're not good enough to play in the major leagues. And you talk about situations where sometimes there's great stories of players that get into the major leagues when they turn 27, 28, 29, 30, and their rights when it comes to free agency. Listen, I get it. And if you're a pro player, you're going to do everything you can to try to take care of your brethren, try to take care of everybody that's under the same roof. The minor league players, yes, should be treated better. If we're looking at a salary increase for what they're making, it should be incrementally. And if you are going to change it, maybe increase the salary based off of the level of minor leagues that a player is playing in. There's no way they should get hundred grand a year. I'm sorry. And it, that might not sound fair to that career minor leaguer, but... There's gonna to have to come a point where that player either gets into the major leagues where minimum salary is five, six hundred thousand dollars, or they have to make a career decision, just like everybody else has to do in the country. You know, if you're making a certain salary that isn't good enough to make a living, but it's what the job pays. At some point, you have to make a decision whether you want to continue to get the pay, the low pay for the job that you have, or you feel like your skills are worth something different. And you go out there and you find yourself another job that pays more. It's time for minor league baseball players to understand that. They've been victims up to the point, but they're not completely victims. They're playing in the minor leagues. And listen, I'm all about the dream I'm all about the love of becoming a Major League Baseball player and those that have to wait all those years and finally get up there. I think of Chris Coast who made it to the Major Leagues with the Phillies after, what, 12 years, 13 years in the Minor Leagues? There's plenty of players that have done the same thing. They're great stories, but it's not the norm. And those players have to understand that there's no reward for continuously playing baseball in the Minor Leagues. It's called the Minor Leagues for a reason. So if we're looking at the treatment of minor league baseball players as a main reason or in some cases the sole reason why there's a lockout right now and why there's a chance that there might not be major league baseball on time for the 2022 season, I have a hard time trusting that. I have a hard time backing the players if if they're not willing to meet the owners in the middle when it comes to minor league baseball. Now, the commissioner has done a lot of things that haven't been great for baseball either. All the additional rule changes, um, dropping, you know, what was it, 60 something minor league baseball teams. Now, within that, there should be some more compensation, some treatment, whether it comes to giving these people meals, something to eat, a place to live, a little bit of an increase in salary, perhaps a raise. Through each level of the minor leagues that you go to, you get to AAA, you, you almost feel like you can make a living, but the goal is to get to the major leagues. The goal isn't to have a whole career in the minors. And I don't mean to knock people that work jobs just for the sake of having a job, but there are jobs that are set to be stepping stones. The unemployed becomes employed by taking a stepping stone job. And eventually moves out of that job into a job that pays better. Major League Baseball is not set up for minor leaguers to have a career. It's a stepping stone. You work on your skills you get better and at some point you have to look at yourself in the mirror to say are you on a pace to make it to the major leagues or not? And if you're not then maybe with all due respect it's time to move. Time to move time to change careers time to do something different with your life so analyzing the whole greatest of all time discussion i i think it's great because you i could open it up with baseball i could open it up with football um i i love the discussion because i think they're they're all a little bit different and i'm going to take a quick second because we got the uh one camera's kind of fading on me hold on one second this is John Pielli here, Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwich's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And we got the camera back going, so my apologies for that. But we talk greatest of all time as it applies to football, baseball, basketball, hockey. You know, there's the great one, Wayne Gretzky. Very hard to dispute anybody else being in the same league as Gretzky. Yes, Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby have had good careers. Gordie Howe was great before. You could talk about the likes of Mario Lemieux, Yaramir Yager, and countless others. When you're talking about the greatest of all time in hockey, I want to spend some time talking about the position-centric elements of judging the greatest of all time. Because in football, it's a lot tougher a lot harder to compare a quarterback to a wide receiver to a defensive uh, uh, lineman to a cornerback to a kicker. And obviously, you talk about more important positions. What's the most important position in football? Is it it's unequivocally the quarterback. Running backs could be great, the edge rusher could be great, wide receivers could be great, but teams win championships with a great quarterback. So when you're talking about the greatest of all time when it comes to football, most of the discussion is going to be centered around the quarterback. Does that mean that Lawrence Taylor can't be in the discussion? Greatest of all time? Well, he was probably the greatest of all time at his position. Jerry Rice is a wide receiver. Was there really anybody that did what Jerry Rice did over the time Jerry Rice played You know, for that long of a period of time? And we talk about baseball and the difference between pitchers and hitters. And this is one of my knocks against wins above replacement. You can't compare a pitcher to a hitter and a hitter to a pitcher because they do completely different things. It's apples and oranges. You could talk about the greatest pitchers of all time, but you could also talk about the greatest offensive position players of all time and probably have one list of just offensive position players and just pitchers. And he could say greatest defensive players. And that would be a whole different discussion because you could only rate metrics when it comes to defensive players back to a certain period of time. And even if you're trying to use, let's say, errors over the course of a season to judge a player that played in the 1920s or before when the fields were gravel pits and they were using dish rags as gloves, it's not a factor of all time. And all time is all time. Now, you can't have the greatest of all time, and I'll I'll throw this out there, and you can tell me if you disagree, but I'm gonna have a hard time taking back your argument against this. The greatest of all time is the greatest of all time. It's not from 1970 on. It's not from 1950 on. It's not from 1920 or 1900 on. The greatest of all time should factor in all the changes of a game and a sport over the period of time that the sport has existed. One may have done something that is so great for the time that they played and starred in a different game than we're talking about right now. And I bring this up because you think of, let's say, a Steph Curry in basketball. There has not been a better shooter, a more accurate shooter, a wider-ranged shooter in the history of the National Basketball Association than Steph Curry. Now, is he the greatest of all time? Well, I think there's elements of his play and his performance that make the discussion live, and it's why the discussion for basketball when it comes to the greatest of all time is one of the most passionate ones out there because you talk about shooters. You talk about players that dominated the big men before the three-point shot or those that shot before the three-point shot, those that played defense, those that played a more physical game than is allowed right now in the National Basketball Association. The players that won the most championships, the Bill Russells of the world, Then you got Michael and LeBron and Kobe. You talk about Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, most points scored in NBA history, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, George Mikan. And George Mikan, to me, is the Ross Barnes of basketball because he dominated basketball the way it was played during the time that he played. He had the benefits of the game growing to what it became in the 1960s and 70s. Of course, in the 80s and 90s, and then what it is today. Ross Barnes perfected the art of getting on base and getting hits, getting the first base before the ball was thrown there to force him out. And he perfected the game the way it was played at that moment in Major League Baseball. He's an all-time great, but where do you rank him? Where do you rank him when it comes to Babe Ruth? Lou Gehrig, Barry Bonds, Ted Williams, Ty Cobb. It's, it's hard to quantify how great a player is when they didn't play in a game that was similar to what you see right now. The dead ball era players in baseball. Players like Ed Delahanty, Cap Anson. You know, they dominated the way the game was played. Ty Cobb for the majority of his career. And he said he despised the long ball. He despised the home run. He feels like the home run ruined the game of baseball. Well, he was one of the greatest to do it before, not necessarily the advent of the home run, but the the popularizing of the home run, which started with Babe Ruth. And now you talk about those that play now that don't hit home runs, that don't necessarily get judged amongst the greatest of all time. I talk about Tony Gwynn who I think is one of the most underrated players to ever play in Major League Baseball history. And the more time that goes by, the more Tony Gwynn's accomplishments get diminished. The fact that he was a contact hitter. He didn't walk that much. His goal was to put the ball in play, make contact, but hit the ball where players weren't. His 338 batting average was the highest batting average for a player that had over a thousand, or what was it? Yeah, over a thousand at bats since Ted Williams retired after the 1960 season. And that says a lot for the way that Gwynn played. He was a throwback player, but in the importance of wins above replacement and all analytic data, it penalizes Tony Gwynn for not getting on base. So how do you judge when you say Ty Cobb gets all the credit for hitting 366 over the course of his career, not a lot of home runs? If Ty Cobb played right now, the sabermetricians would try to make a case that Ty Cobb wasn't very good because he has not walk a lot, because he has not hit a lot of home runs. Players now in baseball are being rewarded for having lower batting averages. But higher on-base percentage, higher slugging percentage, makes up for the lower batting average. Now you got, like I said, Ty Cobb hit 366. You know, if he played today, he might not hit 366. Would he adapt or change to the game as it was played today? And these these are some of the harder discussions that we have when it comes to quantifying the greatest players of all time. Like I said, football, it's a position issue. You can talk about how important the quarterback is and with that, there's nobody that's done what Tom Brady has done. Yet, I look at Lawrence Taylor, and I look at Jerry Rice, and I think of how they changed the game, and how nobody that has played those positions have ever done what LT and Rice have done. How does that bridge the gap if you're trying to talk about the best football players in history? Obviously, it leads you to say, let's do the best quarterbacks, let's do the best um, edge rushers, linebackers, defensive linemen. Let's do the best receivers, running backs. And I think the same should probably be done when it comes to the National Basketball Association. The best big men, the best pure scorers, the best shooters, best defensive players. You know, Dennis Rodman gets a little bit more credit, right? You think of a Ben Wallace. I uh, Think of a bunch of players, you know, Kevin Garnett. It's a great defensive player. In baseball, pitchers, hitters, defensive players. Now, should you do? Should we do the same thing for hockey? Obviously, there's a difference between the goalie and the non-goalie. You can't compare Martin Brodeur and Bobby Orr. You know, it wouldn't be fair to compare Patrick Waugh with Mario Lemieux. You're talking about apples and oranges, players that responsibilities were different. So should you talk about scores? Maybe have a category separate for them, a category separate for goalies, maybe a category separate for defensive players, defensemen. You know, the Ray Borks of the world, Paul Coffey, Bobby Orr. You know, the, the best players to play different positions. Offensive players, which is centers, wings, defensive players, and goalies. Now, that broadens the discussion, right? Because in the end, the end game is about finding the player or identifying the player. That is unequivocally number one. And that's what we argue with. We argue about that all the time. Who is the best? Is is it Tom Brady or is it Jerry Rice? Is it Michael Jordan or is it Kobe Bryant or LeBron James? Or is it Bill Russell or is it Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? so many issues when it comes to trying to quantify what the criteria is for the greatest of all time. But we have we have to get to the point where we understand there could be different definitions of the greatest of all time. Like I said, in basketball, there's great shooters, there's great rebounders, there's great scorers. There's just players that are just that dominant, that controlled the sport. Will Chamberlain, would would stand on one side of the court and just have the ball be thrown to him so he could try to score as many points as he can because he was so towering and much bigger than the other players. Steph Curry has an advantage because he could shoot the basketball from anywhere on the court. He could get an open shot from anywhere because his range is a lot further than any of the better three-point shooters that we've seen in NBA history. Babe Ruth was able to hit the ball so far. At a time where players weren't doing that, he says, Hey, I'll lift the ball. And basically, a forefather for the generation of baseball we have now, we talk about launch angle, we talk about the ability to elevate the ball. Chris Bryant, the whole expression he made hey, I'm looking to hit four fly balls, and hopefully one of them is going to go over the fence. That's baseball the way it's played today. And without Babe Ruth, the game probably wouldn't be played the way it is today. And another, here's another fallacy, and I don't mean to get off this subject. I think I've covered um, the greatest of all time discussion, and the fact that really should be separate four positions as opposed to separate four eras. I'm pro position specialization as opposed to historical specialization. So I don't want to hear about the best players from 1970. I want to hear about the best players from all time, but I'm willing to switch it into positions but the Babe Ruth discussion about playing today. Adam Adovino and a lot of amateur writers have gone out there and made this statement. Babe Ruth playing today wouldn't be able to handle the pitching today. And I'm gonna squash this with one statement. Babe Ruth being transported in time from 1920s where the only way you could take a picture of him is in black and white and his ghost put on the field today with no knowledge about the game the way it's changed and not giving Babe Ruth any of the advantages that the players have in a game as it's played today is something that's impossible to fathom if Babe Ruth was part of the game today Babe Ruth would be playing with all the advantages and the technology that the game sees today. He would be able to watch video of his own at-bats. He would have intensive weight training. He might even be able to do steroids if he wished or choose chose to do. In fact, if he did steroids in the 1970s or the 80s, he could have done it and gotten away with it. And we look at Babe Ruth, how he would age through the game today. And we want to say that Babe Ruth couldn't hit Uh, the cutters and the nasty pitches that are seen today. Yes, if he was throwing these pitches that he'd never seen before, odds are he'd have a hard time hitting it. But Babe Ruth the next day would get into the batting cage. He would look at his iPad, and he'd use the technological advantages to make the adjustments that he would need to make to elevate the ball. And once again... The elevation of the ball, launch angle, the emphasis on putting the ball in the air is something that Babe Ruth started. So if you're going to knock Babe Ruth for maybe being, I don't know, not having the education or not having the game of baseball grow for him at the rate that it has right now, Babe Ruth invented the long ball. He is the reason that there's emphasis on putting the ball in the air. It might, he might have gone about it a different way, just swatting in whatever he sees. But players aren't hitting home runs today without Babe Ruth. And if Babe Ruth were to play in the major leagues right now, he might even hit more than 714 home runs because he would have all the statistical advantages of that the players have in the game today. They would have, they would have iPads. They would have um, the batting programs, the way they're set up to focus on elevation. And there's nobody that elevated a ball better than a babe. So I bet you he would have hit more home runs than he hit today. A little bit of a recap of the show today. And as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Pass Ball Show. A little bit of the discussion on who's to blame for the lockout Major League Baseball. I've been a pro player guy for a long time. I'm having a hard time with the emphasis on saving the minor leaguers. Minor leaguers don't deserve to get paid what major leaguers get paid. Do they deserve better conditions? Yes. Do they deserve lodging and and food and you know not not to have to eat ramen noodles per se? Yes. But they don't deserve to have competitive wages enough that are up there with what major league baseball players are getting paid. They're in the minor leagues for a reason. Either they're too young and are waiting for their time, or they just don't have the ability to do it. I'd love to play in the major leagues, and if I played in the minor leagues, maybe I'd stay there forever if I knew that they could get the the wage up of what minor league baseball players make. But there's a reason that so many people drop out of baseball over time and move into some other sort of career the ceiling of a minor league baseball player should be to earn only a certain amount of money. Now you get to the major leagues, things change. But everybody that's involved in baseball understands that process. We spoke about the greatest of all time when it comes to sports. I love this discussion because um, when you're talking about the greatest of all time, you're factoring in any individual sport all the changes that have happened over the course of the history of the game. And certain fractions of the history of the game when it comes to players get rewarded for their dominance during a certain period of time. In baseball, it's the home runs. In basketball, now it's the three-point shot. Um, a lot more scoring in the 1980s and Wayne Gretzky to just you know put up as many points as he did in hockey. Football, the sack, which... You know, it's amazing that you that people make like you can't track quarterback sacks before 1982. I know it wasn't an official stat, but, you know, come on. We could go back through tackles and understand which tackles were on quarterbacks. You're judging a defensive player. You know which ones were a lot more fierce. Dick Butkus, you don't need to know how many sacks he had as a National Football League player to know that he was a beast and he was... A fierce defensive player. And he put a licking on people. And it was tough for a quarterback to make it through with Dick Buckus on the field. But to me, you look at the change of positions and different responsibilities. In the NFL, it's the quarterback and the kicker. they got different responsibilities. They can both do their job exceptionally well and be the best to ever do it. But nobody's going to ever give the kicker the same amount of credit as the quarterback. The quarterback's the most important position on a National Football League field. In baseball, you think of a pitcher, but you, you can't quantify a pitcher and a hitter at the same time. Their responsibilities are completely different. In hockey, you can't put a goaltender on the same platform as a center. The center's responsibility is to score goals. The goaltender's responsibility is to prevent goals. You can't put them on the same exact pedestal. It's not fair to do that. So we finished talking a little bit about Babe Ruth. And to me, one of the biggest fallacies that's pointed out there and is an issue in many, many, many instances is the thought that Babe Ruth couldn't hit a baseball throne today. And that Babe Ruth, if you took his black and white image from 1921, and put it on the Major League Baseball field, and put John Q, 100-mile-an-hour-throwing pitcher out there on the mound, that he would get Babe Ruth out every time. And yes, you have have basically stated a point that you are correct about, but a point that is nowhere near possible, outside of the fact that Babe Ruth's not going to come back from the dead. But even if he could, he would live here for a little while. He wouldn't come up for your one at bat. When you take all your advantages and everything you've learned in the game of baseball over the last, what, 90 years? Since Babe Ruth last dominated in Major League Baseball? If Babe Ruth was here for a day, if Babe Ruth was here for a week, if Babe Ruth was here for a month, he would gain all the tactical advantages that exist and the technological advances as they've changed in baseball to favor the hitters. And guess what? When you're talking about launch angle, lifting the ball, elevating it, trying to hit three or four fly balls in a game, hoping that one of them goes over the fence, guess where that started from? Guess who was the forefather of elevating the baseball and hitting it over the fence? George Herman Ruth. We'll be back with you next week. I'm heading down to Orlando, where I'm going to participate in the minor league portion of the baseball Winter meetings. Um, Wish me luck as I'm down there. We'll probably try to do a show maybe before I get back um, next Wednesday. If not, I'll do a show from here on Wednesday when I return. God bless you. We'll be back with you then. Enjoy yourself. Um, Like I said, we'll, we'll have a good time as we're down in the Orlando area. Enjoy your football, basketball, hockey. And hopefully we get a little bit closer to having baseball in the near future. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. ...was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living and life. I may come out as the biggest... Major League Baseball Manager Apologist That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired Because hitters are going out there saying I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park I'm not even supposed to be here today Especially prospect whores and hoarders Are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this I'm a dude the dude disguises dude! There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. Side of the spectrum, they're on. Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100% unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing out. So they put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. Hey, You damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.